Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 573. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton, and today I am thrilled to introduce you to our guest, Frank Cottle. Frank is the CEO of Alliance Virtual Offices, and I know we're going to have a blast talking. So listeners, make sure that you head on over to the show notes page at thekimsutton.com forward slash PP573 and leave comments with the ahas and just the value that you've received from this conversation. But Frank, it's so lovely to have you here. I'm looking forward so much to our conversation. Well, thank you very much. It's really great to be here and to participate in your podcast. I see that you've done an amazing amount of work. Oh, yeah. But you know what? It doesn't feel like work. It feels well, it, should, it shouldn't. It really shouldn't. I'm I mean, into that. I think that our lives are, are really just around productivity. If we see that as work, then there's really something you need to reassess a few things. Oh, absolutely. I mean, where else would I be able to have a blast recording podcasts with, I think a helicopter just flew over. I know the neighbors here in Ohio are mowing their lawn. It's a weekday. You know, at any given moment, the tornado siren might go off just because that's, you know, they're always well, testing sure. it here in Ohio. Sure. But I can laugh it off, have a blast, and just work in whatever clothes I want to. You know, I, I don't know that I could get away with that, though. That's That might be the difference between Ohio and Newport Beach, right? <laughs> well, I don't know. You know, I, I'm sitting here in a pair of shorts and a T-shirt, so I don't know that it's it's all that different. And one difference is I'm in an office and, and you're probably at your home. I am at my home. Yeah. Thank goodness for good mics that, for the most part, <laughs> uh, keep my kids out of our conversation. But Frank, I would love if you would share with the listeners what you do today and a little bit of your journey and how you got to where you are today. Oh, gosh. Oh, I'm probably about halfway through where I want to get. But I run a, a group of companies. Uh, we're a global organization. We have about 700 facilities in 54 countries. And we're in the virtual officing and serviced officing business. And I've been doing that now for, for 40 years. I started in 1979 with this company. Prior to that, I raced yachts. And prior to that, I was a commercial diver uh, on contract with one of our uh, federal agencies. Wait, a so, professional diver to racing yachts to starting a virtual office company. How does that happen? Well, what it shows is that uh, I was kicked out of college, and so I wasn't qualified to do anything, so I felt I had to go the entrepreneurial route. How's that? So that's uh, that's the route I, I chose. My family's uh, an old ranching and farming family here in California, and so I grew up with uh, the spirit of entrepreneurism uh, on a daily basis from all of our family, not just from my parents. And that was the path I chose. When we were racing yachts, we simultaneously, myself and some other guys, uh, built a very large brokerage company. We were, when I left the company and left my interest in the company, we were at that time the largest yacht brokerage in the world. So it gave me a, a nice platform of uh, comfort, tremendous amount of experience, uh, travel globally, 
with very uh, well-heeled clientele and learning uh, from their experiences, actually, and doing much the same thing that you're doing, but firsthand of, of sharing experiences, what worked and what didn't work with a lot of uh, successful uh, people around the world. So that took me to an interest in real estate and my interest in real estate uh, was focused on the service office industry and land banking, things of that nature. So we've grown from there. Now, I'm curious because I I grew up in Western New York, so Rochester area. So sure. I, we had Lake Ontario, but that's, I mean, yes, there's yachts, more so sailboats, though, and, and uh-huh. small fishing boats. To I went to school in Chicago, same thing, you know, sailboats and the like, to now being in Ohio, where I am completely landlocked, except for when we get a lot of rain and the river floods. <laughs> when you say yacht racing, and I'm sorry I'm hung up on this, but it's so intriguing to me, where would you race from? Like. Two major types of racing. Uh, there's regatta racing and match racing, the sort of thing that you hear about, uh, you know, the America's Cup, the Admiral's Cup, things of that nature. That's regatta and, and match racing. And then there's uh, distance racing. Oh, I'm going to race to Hawaii or I'm going to race to Tahiti, that sort of thing. And uh, we participated as a group in, in all of those activities. My own preference was match racing. And I was lucky enough to know and participate in a couple of America's Cups uh, as a business manager for one of the challenges. And I didn't have the time to sail. It takes about a three-year commitment to be in that wow. you know, sort of race. And uh, as a, uh, a junior, junior, junior uh, alternative on the Intrepid team. And uh, it's fun because the skipper of the, the Intrepid Challenge, which was one, uh, ended up being uh, my uh, architect, uh, a fellow by the name of Bill Ficker, uh, when uh, we started in commercial real estate. So preserved that relationship, uh, and uh, it was just a very wonderful working uh, relationship over a lot of years. Amazing! Thank you for the insight. Yeah, it's hard to. It's you know, I drive down the highway. I'm I'm at the crossroads of America, the intersection of Interstate 70 and 75. Uh huh. So. We'll see boats being transported, and and I know boats is not the pretty word, but most of the time they are just like the little things that people take out on the river to do their fishing. So it's always so intriguing to me. But I I have to say, for me personally, I love to have my feet on land. I would love to, you know, be just be on the beach watching. Well, I, I I like it all. You know, the the ocean is an uh, it's an amazing proving ground when you think about it. If you turn that over to life and business, because the ocean. Uh, sometimes it's gentle and and sometimes it's it's violent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ocean doesn't care about you. You have to learn to respect and deal with whatever it dishes out. And I think in business and and oftentimes in life, you have to have that respect for your environment, but you also just have to deal with whatever's thrown at you and learn to deal with it, learn to make decisions, uh, that's critical, and learn to, you know, steer a a safe course. Oh my gosh, there's so much truth in that, and both the literal sense and in the business sense. I have to share quick that when I was a teenager, my family took a trip down the California coastline, and when my parents saw the Santa Monica Pier, they they pulled into the parking lot and we went into the Pacific Ocean, which up to that point, you know, I'd been learning in geography that it was more peaceful than the Atlantic Ocean. 
<laughs> so my, my sisters and I get in. You do hear me laughing, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> and I know ex- exactly why. So we get in and all of a sudden, wave, knocks the three of us over. And we have just enough time to stand back up before the next one comes in. And then another one, and then another one. And I I don't know, I'm sure my stepmother up on the beach was a mix of horror and and just hysteric laughter because she saw us. She knew we were safe and we were, pretty, we, thankfully, we were being pushed towards shore and not being pulled out. But that that completely negated any thought that I had of the Pacific Ocean being more peaceful than the well, Atlantic. It's it just bigger. Yeah. And deeper. Uh, so, you know, the, the volume of, of water that moves around in the Pacific is staggering. Absolutely. <laughs> and it moves quickly. So, no, it, it's a great place. Uh, very, very different from the Atlantic, though. Absolutely. And, Frank, I have trouble crossing my house on my two feet because I'm a natural klutz. So, <laughs> I, I'll think twice again. But anyway, I would love to just jump into your company a little bit. The name virtual offices intrigues me, especially, and I know some listeners' ears were like, huh? When you say that you started it 40 years ago, but the name virtual, though, you know, it's taken on a a new meaning over the last, I would have to say, decade or two. So has that always been the name? And what exactly do you do? No, it actually started as Alliance Business Centers uh, and the Alliance Business Centers Network. And what we started doing was building uh, buildings from the ground up. And then we would put in those buildings operationally uh, a business center or today referred to as a co-working center or an executive suite. Basically, we would combine people, place, and technology into a single bundled product and then deliver that product to companies and, and of all sizes uh, with a highly flexible service agreement rather than a lease. So uh, we delivered buildings that had all the clerical, secretarial, administrative support personnel, live receptionists, uh, telephony systems, bandwidth systems, network management systems, everything that a company requires to operate inside of a building subdivided the space in such a way that it was good for uh, larger companies that needed team rooms of one to 25 people and smaller companies that really just wanted a single office. So smaller the, companies that want a smaller office for podcasting so that their kids don't interrupt in the middle? That, that's exactly. <laughs> in fact, that was the target market for us back then. And the term virtual officing, and we still have those companies, by the way, uh, the term virtual officing really comes about as looking at the what used to be the occupier of an office, the real estate term, the occupier, and rethinking how people work today and how the transition of work has gone and recognizing that the occupier really doesn't go to a desk anymore and sit there all day long, five or six days a week. They're really a traveler. They move from place to place and work venue to work venue. And I would dare say that you've probably worked in a Starbucks. I have. You've probably working from your home. You've probably worked in a formal office. You've probably worked in someone else's office or in a conference room, et cetera. Uh, Exactly. So you're really a traveler in your work experience, not an occupier anymore. So Alliance Virtual gives people the capacity uh, to 
match up their work needs with mobility and yet still have a permanent physical address. So today, if you say, I need an office in New York, well, you can go into Alliance Virtual and uh, uh, open an office in New York in five minutes, three minutes. We can provide you the address, the telephony, uh, the physical structure, access to the conference rooms, access to support staff, all uh, via the web uh, in literally moments. Uh, And if you were to say, well, I want an office in New York and London and Paris and Amsterdam, we say, "Well, well, that'll probably take you 15 minutes. So we can establish offices in real time globally for people to meet their business needs. And... You would think that this is primarily independent uh, entrepreneurs that take advantage of this. But the reality is the largest companies in the world in government represent a huge percentage of, uh, if not the largest percentage revenue-wise, of our business. Really? Well, think, think for a moment. If you were to go back five years, just five years, and pull up a annual report for any global Fortune 100 company. Okay. Yeah. And when you look at that annual report, you're going to see that they made a certain amount of revenue and a certain amount of profit, and they had a certain number of employees. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, let's say they had 500,000 employees worldwide. Okay. Big company. If you look at that annual report today, you will see that it says they have the revenue and they have the profit, but they now have a workforce of 500,000. Yeah. And that workforce about 10 to 25% of it are contractors. Mm -hmm. In order for them to preserve their stock value or improve their stock value, they want their long-term liability of their leased property or their debt on their, their owned property to go away and match the employment cycle of their company. So if they can have 25% employee or uh, contractors and they can now have a one-year service agreement with those contractors for their real estate requirements instead of a 10-year lease, which they have to carry as a negative on their balance sheet, well, their stock value is going to materially improve as they shed the liability of those long-term leases against their short-term employment model. Wow. Uh, so that is a huge driver. And if you think about, too, government, what's the one thing that all every government has to ultimately agree upon, regardless, you know, you know, in our government, Democrats, Republicans, everybody else, what's the one thing they have to agree upon? You've got me because I'm thinking about so many things. An annual budget. Mm, yeah. I said annual, not a multi-year budget, but a one-year budget. Right. The government doesn't like to take 10-year leases and has to get exceptions in contracts that are more than one year. Mm -hmm. So government loves our industry, loves the the flexibility that our industry provides. Well, you have me thinking, Frank. I mean, when I – so I started my career. Listeners, if this is your first episode, I started my career as an interior architect. And I worked for a top 40 interior architecture firm in Manhattan. And at that point, they had a large, like 40,000 square foot office right there in Midtown. And I know that after I left, they they upsized it to two floors and then they opened up another office in Chicago. And I honestly haven't looked recently, but I wouldn't be surprised if their website, oh, I think they also said London. But now you've got me thinking 
there's no reason why they had to be employees. They could have had contractors from all around the world and then have put up that they have locations all around the world, you know, working with a company like you, where if they needed the team to get together on site, sure, great, just meet in our conference room. But in the meantime, all these, their workforce, as you put it, could be working out of their homes. Well, and and there are specialized facilities, too, that uh, service engineering and architectural firms uh, from within our industry as well. I would venture that if you were with a large firm like that, firms like that are very subject to the cyclicality of the economy. They grow and they take a lot of space and hire a lot of people and the economy changes and all of a sudden business growth stops and then sadly they have to adjust their employment base and but they're still stuck with that cost, that fixed cost of the real estate. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm self-employed. I, well, and that's it. That happens yep. uh, regularly. I mean, you can you can count on it. It's not something that's a surprise. Uh, and our whole industry, the service office and the, the co-working industry, uh, uh, provides a solution to that. And it's one that uh, has massive growth as an industry in terms of uh, facilities and and square footage, customer service capacity, if you will. Uh, our industry grew twenty three percent in two thousand and eighteen. That's faster than any other industry you can imagine. That definitely beats the the PC industry during the the dot com boom. Uh-huh. Uh, they were growing at around ten to twelve percent. So uh, we've just had massive growth, and it's due to the trend shifts that we're seeing in contracting, in mobility, in technology, and the social structure of work today uh, is just totally different. So it, it's a huge driver. And Alliance Virtual Offices, uh, fortunately. We've been around a long time, and, and so we, we've, we're not only a, a leading company within our industry, but we're perceived because of our tenure, and uh, we also publish uh, allwork.space publication, which is the largest publication in our industry. So we're, we're seen as, as thought leaders and, and sort of as an authority on the future of work and things of that nature as well. So you mentioned earlier that you've got – you have administrative – support for your do you call them members or clients or we refer to our clients as members yes yes so i started out if if i can interrupt our purpose in doing that it's very much a community driven uh service structure that we provide oh i love members that's why they're a member yeah absolutely i can so see that so in 2008, I was designing schools here in Ohio, and mm-hmm. especially I'm near Dayton, and we lost a lot of industry. I mean, GM had major manufacturers around the Dayton mm-hmm. area. DHL sure. was here. You know, the whole area of Dayton just took a massive hit. So when tax bond issues stopped passing because the citizens didn't, ha- you know, they couldn't even think about putting mm-hmm. air conditioning into new schools or building new schools if they can't pay their mortgage. So that's, that's right. I lost my job. So I started my company as a virtual assistant. And I'm intrigued by the support that you offer along with the, you know, the address. Would you mind going into that a little bit more? Because I'm curious how it works. Yeah, it re- really depends on the individual facility or structure. Uh, some things are, are provided remotely. Uh, live reception services, as an example, uh, we have three call centers, one in the continental Europe, one in the UK, and one here in 
North America. So anything that could be done remotely by a live receptionist, uh, we were talking about scheduling an appointment setting a moment ago just for ourselves, uh, the challenges that presents. Well, you can imagine small companies uh, or large companies, individuals within them. That's a huge requirement, as you know, for coordinating business purposes. So we're very adept at that. And today, really, uh, there are a lot of virtual assistants through great companies like Upwork, and uh, as an example. But it's very difficult for an individual company to to sort those at all out because one virtual assistant is really good at social media and communications, but they're not great on spreadsheets. Another virtual assistant might be really great at uh, appointment setting and spreadsheets, but they really aren't good at PowerPoint. Uh, They can't put a pitch deck together really well. Mm -hmm. So having a single virtual assistant isn't the solution today. The solution today, and we're just starting to develop and, and implement this, is having not a virtual assistant, but having a complete virtual office manager who has... 10 virtual assistants at their beck and call and who can meet the total needs of a company as opposed to just the sometime needs. And then uh, you end up doing half the work yourself. Uh, So we think that having an office manager as a virtual assistant is better than having a single assistant, particularly that person then knows the company as opposed to just knows the individual. And and that, that. that will be a trending issue that you'll see coming up over the next several years. And that actually must just be the trend of the day because my, my first podcast of today was actually with a online business manager who certifies other online business managers. And it was exactly the same topic. And I have an online business manager, and then I have five other virtual assistants who work with us. And it's exactly like what you were just talking about. I have the podcast production team. I have social media. I have community. I have, you know, a number of different things, because just like you were saying, I mean, I love each of my team members dearly, but some of them just can't create graphics how I want to. And, exactly. Like, and and no, yeah. no one can, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, right? right. Well, in today's world, you have to have nothing but masters working mm-hmm. with you. Uh, you can't have that master of none approach. And so putting together the team, the, the problem that, that you have and what you just described, you actually have to manage the team yourself. Oh, no, my manager. Okay, okay, okay. Because that's really what, what's necessary to make it work. You've got to have the manager. Yeah, and that's just in the last month. Full disclosure, my manager is my sister, who is uh-huh. a Cornell graduate and was a grocery manager for 15 years. Uh-huh. So she has, that is her forte. Mm-hmm. But you have to have somebody who really is organizational and loves to manage. And I do not. I'm a creative. I couldn't, you know, that's just, if that's my responsibility, it's always going to fall on the back burner. Yep, I can understand that completely. In fact, you're, you're a creative. Your sister's a great manager. My team just says I'm a, an old grump. So you know, <laughs> I, I, I obviously have maintained my skill set perfectly. I will argue because it's been extremely pleasurable since the second we got on the line. So, yeah, I would love to know 40 years ago you got started with this. And what types of systems – Because um, I didn't have systems set up at the beginning. It's probably took, and I've been in business now for seven years. It probably took four years for me to start getting systems set up. Frank, it took me 
six years to read the E-Myth. And then I kicked myself in the butt and was like, why didn't you read this before? You've only had 1,800 people tell you that you should read it. What did you do to be able to have the type of growth and sustainability and and last through the ups and downs of the economy? Well, it's funny. Even when we were in the yachting business, which you you have to go back into the 70s, we myself and a couple of other guys, we thought, you know, we, we use a lot of electronics to steer boats around, but we're not using them to steer our offices around. So we took everybody off the IBM's electrics, and, and which was the, the big electric typewriter of the era. And we installed a, an IBM 360 mini computer, put everybody at terminals and started doing everything on a, as automated as the technology would allow at that time. As we started our own company back in 1980, uh, when we were building our first project, we actually went out of our way. We said, hey, we're going to combine people, place, and technology. What's the best technology to use? And we looked around very carefully, and we uh, actually formed a, a joint venture with Bell Labs. And we were the first commercial installation that simultaneously transmitted both voice and data over four pair twisted cables. So what you think of today is Cat 5 or 6, and you think of as virtual private networks and, and things of that nature today. We were doing all of that in 1980 and creating that technology with Bell Labs. And we actually had to create both hardware and software to run it, uh, which we were fortunate enough to have their brilliant team. But those were the days of, you know, guys in white coats, plastic pocket protectors for the pins and slide rolls. <laughs> so in 1980, we were doing full video conferencing also. Wow. So again, it was very expensive, uh, uh, very expensive to, to create, install and use. And there are a lot of limitations to it, but it was still the way to go. Uh, By 82, 83, as people started needing more speed and bandwidth, we created the joint venture with GTE. And we were their first commercial installation for ISDN, which was the ripping fast, you know, bandwidth of the era. If you had ISDN, you were just magic. You could actually transmit stuff and not, you know, get up and go get a cup of coffee while it was happening. So we've always used technology as a key to our business positioning and that hasn't stopped uh, we're still doing that today and and we try and keep it the at the front of everything now and it does speed up your growth uh, if you use technology intelligently it is a little better for the planet we've been totally paperless since 1993 mm. we run a global organization we have facilities in 54 countries so uh, time zones and paper and things of that nature just don't work. You have to do things by video. You have to do things in real time. Uh, and that requires a lot of bandwidth and a lot of understanding of how to manage it. Absolutely. So we've that's just been a part of our business model for since day one. I can't even imagine how much that how much the investment was for you to get that in, in 1980, 1982, because I'm thinking back even, and this is going to date me, but 1997 was when I went to college. Uh huh. And I remember the hefty price tag that my parents paid for my Apple computer in 1997. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it, I think it was four to $5,000 just because oh, that yeah. was the rate then. See in 97, 
Uh, no, that would have been, uh, well, really, uh, your first Minimax, probably. Computers are expensive, but the only time a computer is expensive is when it's not put to good use. True. If you think about it, it's like any tool. All good tools are expensive. Mm-hmm. And if they sit in the toolbox unused, well, that they're really expensive. But if they're used to their maximum effect, then they're they're not expensive relative to their productivity. Oh, I could give you a big kiss, but my husband wouldn't like that. I'm an Infusionsoft certified partner now. So I uh-huh. hear that complaint a lot of the time from prospective clients. You know, I've been spending all this money. It's so expensive. I'm not getting my my money back from it. And I'll ask them, what are you doing with it? And it's like, to be totally honest, that first Mac that I had, we were learning how to hand draft. So the extent of usage of that Mac was using it for AOL instant messenger. So it was a very expensive tool to only be doing, you know, instant messaging my high school friends. And today the same is the case for people who aren't using whatever tool they have, Infusionsoft being the one that I'll pick on, if all they're using it is a, is for the same thing that they could be using MailChimp for, of course it's going to be super expensive. But there's yeah. so many more capabilities. No, well, that, that's it. You know, you you buy the right tool for the right job uh, overall, and, and that's what people have to recognize. And Kenny, you were doing drafting. We were doing. Uh, we were one of AutoCAD's very first installations. We were doing buildings in auto, with AutoCAD in the early '80s on old green screens. Uh, so, you know, that that's uh, you just keep progressing with things as, as you move along uh, and, and it never stops. It never, ever stops. And, and thank goodness it doesn't stop. Absolutely. You know, it, it's like all all human knowledge. It, it, we should be on a continual quest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I ended up teaching myself how to use AutoCAD because I went to one of the best art schools in the country, but they were all about freehand. Yeah. And actually, one of my professors said, you just shot yourself in the foot by taking the whole semester to teach yourself CAD. But had I not taught myself the technology, then I would have never gotten hired for any future jobs. So it's sad that, you know, I love what people are able to do with computers as far as rendering goes. Don't get me wrong, anybody who's listening. But I do miss the hand-drawn effects. My husband is a video game designer. Oh, Yeah, and he's actually, his first game, he is hand-drawing all of his assets and then scanning them in. And so it's it's a painstaking process, but he wanted that hand-drawn quality so bad that he decided just to say, the heck with trying to do it on a tablet. I actually want it to be my hand, and I'll just scan them into the computer, each minuscule piece that needs to be done. Well, that's the the old Disney method, huh? Yep, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, yeah. it's funny that, that you mentioned video games. Today, we're selling serviced offices and co-working uh, offices and, and virtual offices, etc. By 2022, we're going to be selling virtual reality offices. We'll be selling software that is your office as opposed to a physical place. And just like a video technology, video gaming technology is totally immersive today and, and actually has the best rendering uh, that exists in technology it comes from the video gaming industry. You'll slip on your headset or whatever set it will be at that time. It'll be lighter, better. Uh, today you've got 
optical technology that's equal to or even better than the human eye that's available from a variety of providers. So that'll become commonplace by 2022. And you'll slip on a headset and you'll enter your office, which you will have chosen from a template or designed in all of your files, all of your business requirements will be in that office, just like if you walked into a large office today. And with technology, the way it's emerged, the way it's, it, it's developing, people will come and visit you in your office and come and go. And, and the reality of it will be astounding. So if we look at buildings today, uh, take any building in, in Manhattan as an example where you worked originally. Take the nicest high-rise building, uh, overlook Central Park, and think what a a 500-square-foot personal office in the corner of that building overlooking Central Park costs today. Can't even imagine. It's staggering. That'll be a house cost. uh, That'll be a five or ten, five or ten thousand dollars a month for that office, that one office. Okay, with one person sitting in it. Yeah. Okay. Now, if I'm correct in our virtual reality offices to become a reality, which it's it's inevitable. Uh, just a matter of which was it going to be 2021, two, three, or four? Okay, that's all. That's the only the only variable is what date. Okay. Well, if you you could go into your office in Ohio, uh, into your home office in Ohio, put on whatever device was necessary, or maybe it'll even be an embed, and enter that same office. What's that going to do to the value of the real estate? It's going to completely restructure the value and the use purpose of real estate. You'll be able to have much higher density with a much higher quality environment simultaneously, which means that buildings, particularly in very expensive, high density markets, will be able to be fully or partially repurposed into other activities, residential activities, retail activities, which will cause large buildings, instead of being all commercial, now they'll become mixed use. And when they become mixed use, now you've solved a uh, pollution and a transportation problem. And it all comes to the from the technology of virtual reality officing. Oh, my goodness. Frank, can I get on the waiting list for one of those? <laughs> I, I'm can. totally serious. You I would can. love to be... I'm even thinking of a movie that we just watched on... Okay, we have not been to a movie in the longest time. Just all the kids, you know. Uh-huh. But um, there's one that it was all virtual reality, and people put on their head thing, and then they go in, and all their friends are in here. And it, the funny thing is, is that the the main character lives in Columbus, Ohio, of the future, which is uh. just, <laughs> and it's like probably somewhat dystopian. It was because they're all like mobile homes that are now vertical just stacked on top of each other and it's like <laughs> oversaturated like just too many people living in one space but it was it was really intriguing to me but then i was thinking about when i started my first business which i should have never gotten into in 2005 i remember reading entrepreneur magazine one day and they were talking about this online community called i think it was called second life where oh, you, sure. where you sure. could get in and have you know conferences create an avatar of yourself exactly but yeah. second life sort of took on a whole different i think purpose than people were intended or than second life made the developers may have intended like i know ibm was using it for virtual conference centers but it became a little bit more NR, you know, and mature yeah. than 
that, but I love this whole concept. I mean, being able to put this on, go in, and then I'm thinking of it. I love movies, if you can't gather. Like, Tom Cruise is a police officer, and he goes in, and he's like, he's got these little creatures who or people who can see into the future, but he has his hands up, and he can fly different stuff around or documents around. Like, I can just see how it would be so absolutely you can fantastic. actually do all of that right now. <laughs> no way. Yeah, well, just uh, as an example, in uh, Sweden, in Stockholm right now, they've got a, a test going on. It's going very successfully uh, for embeds. And so you have a little chip embedded in your hand. And with that chip, it works very much like an Apple Pay or something like that. And you can ride all the public transportation. You can do this. You can do that. You can pay for anything in the public sector just by tapping your finger, uh, and it's, it comes from an embedded chip, and you're going to see that right now. You, if you into the video gaming world, you know how people have haptic gloves, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. Well, you have haptic gloves, and you can get haptic feet now, and all that kind of thing too. So you can be more immersive. Well, the way they're doing it now, in in the the testing that we're seeing, is you don't wear a glove anymore. You actually have a a nano chip just sitting that's put onto your fingernail uh, the same way that you'd use a fingernail polish. It's a micro-thin structure, and you just polish it on, and now it's permanent. Okay, now you have to maintain the polish cover on it, but now, now it's permanent. So everywhere you go, you have the haptics with you. Now, if you walk around with haptics and you're using a headset of any sort simultaneously, that world you were just talking about uh, from the film you watched, which I think was probably Ready Player One. That was one of them. Uh, okay. I love that. Yeah. Okay. That world has just been created. Wow. Okay. So we think that we'll see not the fantasy version quite that, that was in the game structure that was played in that movie, but the reality of the practical realities of what can be accomplished in that relative to travel, relative to any variety of experiences and for business productivity purposes. So this is just what we see coming down the the pike and some of the things that we're working on within our own company ourselves as partners with different people, uh, different organizations and Alliance Virtual Offices. Again, we've we've always been a leader in structure. We created the virtual office. We created the term virtual officing. We have uh, set up the global structures for it. We've created the wholesaling structure for it on a global basis. So uh, this is just the next generation of product, if you will, that we see as solving a, a requirement of people's needs. Oh my gosh, Frank, you have my head swimming right now because I've joked on numerous episodes of the podcast that I would love a USB port installed behind my ear. And I'm told I would donate myself, you know, to test this. That because I, as I said, I'm a creative. I'm actually working to write my book called Chronic Idea Disorder. If my eyes are open, even if my eyes are shut, you know, I'm having more ideas. But I would just love that USB port that's behind my ear that I can download what's there and have it, you know, out. Well, it, it's a, a little bit of, I don't know if you're a practitioner of lucid dreaming or not. But I'm not. Okay, are you familiar I'm with the term? I'm intrigued. Are you familiar intrigued. with the term? Yes, I am. Okay. Uh, and for your audience, it isn't lucid dreaming, uh, basically is directed dreams where you, through your own 
consciousness direct your dreams to be focused on an activity even after you're sleeping and to be productive with that activity when you're sleeping. And this is a discipline It's uh, and a science. It's not a fantasy, but it's an actual discipline. It's something you can learn to do overall. And what you are going to see is that these virtual reality structures are a little bit for some people like lucid dreaming is today, where you are immersed in two worlds simultaneously. I can absolutely see that. Oh my gosh, I am so excited to see this come to reality, like full full force, full reality. Wow. Oh, full virtual reality, maybe I should say. Yeah, no, it is the the future of of work. I mean, it's the future of many things. But in particular, as we go back to the mobility issues we were talking about, there are 1.8 billion mobile workers in the world today. And that's defined by the IDC as anyone that has two or more days permanently of mobile work uh, in a permanent job. So if you think about the sheer numbers of people that are part of this mega trend of contracting and mobility, uh, that's just going to drive things that much further and faster. By 2030, 2032, three, by that era, everything we've just been talking about will be ubiquitous and default. It won't be the future. It will be, it's what will happen. And all you have to do is look at social media. When did social media start? All you have to do is look at smartphones. When did smartphones start? There was about eight to 10 year adaptation period before it became the absolute default. It's the only thing now, right? And uh, we'll see the same thing with these new technologies as they emerge. My father, just in the past six months, upgraded from his flip phone to an iPhone. I didn't realize until I was just talking to my stepmother last week or the week before. It's like, really? And I remember seeing him on a laptop for the first time. I was like, Dad, do you need help? with that. And I feel bad now, but he's like, oh no, this is how I read all my news now. Because dad yep. dad always went to, you know, the local newsstand or he would travel 40 minutes to go get all of his newspapers every day. And yeah. and now he's just getting it all online. I mean, he, he's, I don't want to say slow to catch up, but my dad is well, slow to catch up. I know a number of people that still use a flip phone. Now they also use a computer and they also do a thing, but they want a phone to be a phone. That's all they want it for. I'm not arguing that. And so there, there's a, a definitely a, a position to take on that overall because we can become too connected mm-hmm. and you can lose yourself in all the communications overload that stuff. So unless you're very careful in the filters you set on things uh, and the way you create habits and you are constantly just exploring, you become a, you know, a YouTube junkie. And it's a it's a hard addiction to break for a lot of people, much harder than physical and, and drug addictions even. Yeah. Because there's, there's nothing wrong with it, right? It's not evil. But it's just as addictive. And uh, so we, we have to really use caution in how we filter our data in the world around us because that's all all of this is. It's just data. And we have to – we have a mantra in our company that says get the data and – the data becomes information, which can be converted to knowledge, which in turn creates action. Mm. So get the data. That's our, our approach to a lot of things in business. Uh, overall, well, a lot of people just get the data, but they never convert the information to knowledge. Oh, my goodness. 
and that's a, a sticking point. So if you're always just getting information, it really doesn't do you any good. It just clutters your brain. You have to have a process for turning that information into knowledge. I've been to a number of conferences and I've had a number of clients where the same point is brought up over and over again. Yeah, you can sign up for that two to $10,000 course. You can be here for the weekend and learn all this, but what are you going to do with it? So are you going to act on it or not? And I wish somebody would just be so bold as to say, don't spend the money if you're not actually going to act on it. I think I'm actually going to put that into my sales webinars in the future. If you're not going to commit to taking the action, then I don't want your money because I want to see the results. I want to see the results that show that it's worked well for my, you know, for my members. And I want them to see the results and showing how it's actually helped their business. Mm -hmm. But Frank, I want to have a part two. I want to learn more and, and just share more and see how you can help listeners more in the future. So let's, I know your coordinator's name and, <laughs> and I can, I can get in touch, but I would love to know how listeners can get in touch with you, learn more and find out how they can be a member. Well, the, the easiest thing to be just go to alliancevirtualoffices.com. Okay. That's our core company, and uh, I'm there. And if you want to just know more about what's going on in our industry overall, uh, then you can go to allwork.space. Allwork.space. Yeah, and all all work is one word, dot space. Um, So all workspace. (laughs) I love it. And um, that will give people an idea of what's going on in the flexible workspace industry and and what things are being created and who the who the companies are and, and that sort of thing and, and how it's all being done. Fabulous. Listeners, again, you can you can find all the links of everything that we talked about as well as the links that, that Frank just mentioned at the Kimsutton.com forward slash PP573. Frank, I want to thank you again for your time today. Do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you can offer to listeners? Gosh, I hadn't thought of any golden nuggets. No, uh, I would just say have fun. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm kind of at a, a loss for that one. You know, just enjoy life and have fun because it, it is fun. I love it. We'll go with that. Have fun, listeners. And again, go over to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP573 and leave your ahas. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Uh